Welcome to the No Ideas Original Podcast featuring Shannon, Mr. Rob, and Zane is not here with us today, but hopefully we'll get Zane back short. What's up, Rob? How your week, man, bro? I'm good, man. The week has been good. It's been productive. I've just been doing all I can to stay busy. I'm, I feel like I'm getting back into a rhythm with our shows. We had two shows. We had one show with Miss Jess, Miss Janelle. Um, and um, things have been good, man. Thank you for patronizing us, Nell's Kitchen, good bro. I don't mind making my Uber Eats trips for anybody that's looking to have a good meal. Um, but outside of that, everything has been good, bro. I'm, I'm feeling good. I feel healthy. And um, that's a good thing. You've been doing your leaf blowing, your yard work? Yeah, but the weather's been crazy. If something came through here last night. Something serious came through here, man. And it brought all the leaves back on the goddamn crash. I can tax it. I can't wait for losing. <laughs> Not wait for losing. So hopefully tomorrow is, is going to be as breezy. I can get out there and do something about it. Or if not, they're going to be there for a winner. So what can I yeah. do? Yeah. How about I'm, you? What's good with you? It's been, a, it's been a good week. Like I was saying, when you um, when you stopped by earlier, we, uh, we hired some new staff. And it appears that the staff we have in place are competent. So you know when you got competent people in place, it makes your job that much easier. So yeah, this week has been a breeze. It's been really, really good. And then on Wednesday, you know, we had um, Janelle, which we're gonna bring up in a few minutes, having a discussion about mental health and continuing that discussion tonight. So that was cool. And you know, just just the regular today, I got to do one of my favorite things in the world, which Janelle would probably appreciate for self care, take me a nap in the middle of the day. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you said that, man. Cause rest. It's so, so, so important, man. At rest, you get them endorphins and that serotonin coming out of your brain, man. It's it works, bro. You need that. So I had my nap, got up, had my Nell's Kitchen, my jerk chicken, my rice and peas, and now I'm good to go. But without further ado, let's bring Janelle on. We got Janelle Santana from Dance Healthcare in the house. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you guys. No, it's a pleasure to have you. You know, I think the conversation we had on your platform on Wednesday was very, very interesting, highly informative. I got a lot of good feedback. People told me they appreciated the conversation. So it only made sense given how important it is that we continue the conversation. So for those who didn't have an opportunity to tap in on um, Janelle's Instagram Live, we were talking about mental health, in particular mental health in our community. And we were talking about um, self-care. And just a little bit about Janelle. Janelle's a... a social worker, she's a certified life coach as well. Um, I wanted to ask you just like even about the life coaching stuff. So how does a, how, I guess, how does a person find themselves linking up and working with you as a life coach if they are stuck professionally, stuck emotionally in a relationship or stuck just personally? So as a life coach, I find it, I could say I love being a social worker. But as a life coach, I meet you where you're at, not where you've been in your past. It does come up during coaching sessions because you can't move on until you repair whatever happened to you. So as a life coach, I really love it. Um, sometimes I'm a football coach. I got to get in here. Get up. Let's go. Get in touch. And I like that because as a social worker, we're supposed to be more mellow. Of course, we have the code of ethics, you know, and I do believe in them, but sometimes you got to get in people's butt. Like, what are we doing here? Mm-hmm. 
we're like Forrest Gump. So what I did was I just pivoted and I was like, I want to be a life coach. I love it. Y'all are being saying then my Dr. Phil. So I got a little Dr. Phil in me. And those are my mentors. Um, Trent, Trent Shelton also, um, hip, what's his name? Eric, the hip hop preacher. So what I do is I incorporate all of those styles and created my own style. Eric the hip hop preacher, I like him. He gets he gets in your he ass. Gets yeah. <laughs> and that's what we need sometimes. We need that because yeah. we are our own worst enemy. That's what self-care is realizing how how bad you really are to you. And um, also it's just understanding that we gotta stop the the idea of perfection. I don't know where we get it from, but this millionaire sitting on their couch. Trillionaires sitting on their couch. I should have did this. I could have did this. So I'm big on um, also with the Nike, you know, just do it. I don't care if it's broke up. When I started this self-care business, I mean, I was literally reading off of paperwork that I had studied and then I became more comfortable and I like people to see that there is growth. Like we all get to grow. So you could see when I did my first video, I never took it down in the kitchen with cereal boxes holding it up. It was so funny. <laughs> I I'm like, <laughs> and then and then that's like, well, you got a dining room. That's an extra room. Turn the room into a self-care room. So it's just about learning ourselves and learning that we could start from anywhere we are in life. There's no age limit on goals. What 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 exactly is a life coach? So a life coach started. I, I I don't have. It started either football or basketball. So you know coaches. Yes, the coach. Right. The football field. I think it started in football, like 55 years ago. And what happened was they they started realizing that the coaches was able to empower them. And get them on the field. So right. that's where life coaching came from. Um, I just added self-care because I realized I wasn't taking care of myself. So I call myself a, cert- a self-care life coach, but it's really a certified life coach. That's what I am. And, and that's what, what we do. So it started from there, from coaching in sports. That's where life coaching originated from. And then people were like, well, I, you know, people were still deciding on religion and I don't try to, I, whatever you believe is your belief, universe, ancestors, and things like that. So people really didn't want to go to a church or didn't feel comfortable. Right. So as a coach, let's just say you are struggling with wearing like the brown hat opposed to the hat Shannon got on, right? Y'all both got the same hat. I could coach you through that and just be like, wear the daggone hat that you want to wear. Why are you looking for the perfect hat to go with your perfect eyes? You're already perfect. So that's what coaches do. We really need you where you're at. But because I have the the mental health background, people also enjoy that piece of it. Right. One of the the titles that I do like under life coaching is wellness professional. You know, someone, someone, like I said, to get in your ass, but it's, it's about your wellness and making sure you're doing the right thing. One of the good things is like clarifying your goals. If, you, if you're looking to do something, let's, let's let's have a clear view of what that is and make it possible for you to achieve that. So 
I, I, I enjoyed this. I was reading about that. I was like, wow, this is wonderful. I'm a life coach. I know how to help a couple people out. <laughs> a lot of us are. Just like Shannon said on, on my live, a lot of us have anxiety, depression. It's just what we do with it. So most of us are life coaches. We are, by nature. Do you, do you find that most people find their way to you because they've exhibited behaviors of being like a procrastinator when it comes to like goals and things like that? Yes, so without disclosing information because of HIPAA, but I have a client in um, Westchester that I go to their house and it's, it's a mom and a daughter. And what you get is the conflict. It's in a, two adults and they can't live together, right? So what you try to teach them is, well, not teach them, you give them tools because I cannot do the work for you. I'll give you these tools and I say, if her credit is bad, what do that have to do with you? And then the parent looks like nothing. Why are you worried about it? If she eating snacks in her bedroom, what does that have to do with you? Now, it has something to do with you if she's leaving crumbs, right? Right. Or if you co-signed on her credit cards, then it includes you. So what we do is when we say wellness, we try to get your mind to, we try to change your mindset. Like this has absolutely nothing to do with me. So that's what I coach on. Like we really dip our hands into things. We have no business in. It's not our business. So you develop a strategy for them to focus on. Clearly, smart goals. You know what smart goals are, right? Yep. Specific, measurable. Yeah. What is it? I don't know what that is. What a smart goal. Okay, so whenever you want to do something, and I'm talking about anything, I mean going in the shower, right? Right. So I want you to set up a goal on how you get ready for the shower. You're gonna say, I'm taking Uh my shower at eight o'clock. Right. You're gonna say, I'm gonna get my pajamas out because it's nighttime for us. We old, we ain't going nowhere. <laughs> get my pajamas out. I'm gonna brush my teeth. Right. And at this time and at this time. And when you do do it that way, right. and what you do is write smart going down the line. When you do it that way, so you're specific. I cannot say that word. I sound like the Pacific Ocean. When <laughs> <laughs> you're specific, that means you are specific meaning you're taking a shower at 8 p.m. Right. You're being, you're being, you're those non-negotiable and, and that is, small goals is the best goal ever. I don't, I don't want to interrupt you, but I want to, I want to tell you this. I did, I did like when we had the conversation, you mentioned non-negotiable because I've created some of my own, which I was already doing, but now I could, t- I call them, those are non-negotiable. I do that. <laughs> And, 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 if, if somebody dying, Rob, what I told you, they need to call who? You or 911? That's it. That is it. That is it. You gotta make them your non That's the only way that we can achieve anything. If we keeping it real on this platform, we uh-huh. cannot achieve anything unless one, you put your mind to it and make it a non-negotiable. Right. Right. Yeah, the ones I have in the morning, they're real easy. I mean, I, I've been focusing on my breath control a lot, of, a lot of times. So, first, before I even get out of the bed, I'm already, I'm already working on meditation, getting my breathing right, 
You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? I'm, 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 I'm invigorating my sympathetic nervous system because that's what gets you up. That's just says, all right, it's time to get up. I ain't going back to bed. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, some people get up. I'm like, nah, I'm going to hit the snooze. <laughs> Ten more minutes. <laughs> now, but now when I get up, because <laughs> now I got to take care of the dog. I got to start my day and then the regiment starts. And I'm like, ah, oh, now I'm in a rhythm. By 12 o'clock, I already did about 30 different things. So I can have a nap around two o'clock, get up yeah. and then move forward. So I appreciate you for the non-negotiables. Now I put that in place. That's right. Yeah. Activate it. <laughs> we, we, we underestimate the power of a of a routine. You know, like a good routine. Let's get you up all way. There are some people, like you said, they get up every morning, they hit the snooze button, they don't have things in place, and mm-hmm. you know. And I also, I, I realized, like for myself, a long time ago, what, what I used to help manage my own anxiety is planning. Like I'm a planner. Like I'm thinking right. three and four steps ahead of most things because I'm like, all right, I don't, I don't want to find myself in a position where I'm anxious. So if I know that I'm supposed to be somewhere at five o'clock, and right. you takes me an hour to get there, I'm not gonna say, all right. I'm gonna leave at four o'clock. You know, I ain't start. I anticipate. Okay, this is what traffic may be like, or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. The same thing. Like, I'm not a person who gets up in the morning and says I'm gonna iron my clothes, I'm gonna do this, and do that, or whatever. Like, my stuff is laid out. For, and my wife will tell you for the week, <laughs> whatever I iron stuff, and it just help. It helps. It helps me to reduce my anxiety. Like, I'm very much a person who I want to plan and have these things in place. And I think that there are people who haven't identify what triggers their anxiety mm-hmm. and as a result of it they find themselves constantly in positions where they're anxious um so just that kind of like bring that back around to even like the smart goals stuff yeah. or whatever like for me like i'm very deliberate in a sense of knowing like all right these are the things that i absolutely have to accomplish and prior to smartphones i would even have like a pen or a pad that i would write down that's so old school but it works you right. and now i do you know like like on my phone i do it i even tell like staff and stuff like that also i'm like you know what make yourself a list make yourself a list at night before you know you settle in there are people who have rituals that you know all right i know i go to bed at nine o'clock so i turn my cell phone off at eight or I know that I take my shower, my hot bath, or whatever time it is, or whatever it is, like, yo, these rituals and things like this, these are the things that I think that help contribute to people's self-care and help you with your mental health as well. Yes, sir. You know, one thing we didn't touch on on um, the Instagram live, like, ironically, like, I think talking about mental health, to me, this time of the year is when mental health you know, people become more conscious of like whatever mental health issues they may have because there's like traumatic experiences and things that may be associated with the, the, um, the holiday. They have a thing called um, developmental grieving also, you know, so imagine you lost a loved one and the holidays come around and you know, you revert back to thinking about your experience around the holidays with loved ones and family and things like that. Like there are people who are dealing with things like, you know, separation, Anxiety is great. Guilt, you know, it's just so many different things that I think the holidays trigger for people. Absolutely. And what we need to do is this is what I tell people check on your loved ones for real. Um, I don't know if you guys looked up the statistics lately, and I'm not big on statistics, but when I see something alarming, I like, wow. Our right. babies are committing suicide at an alarming 
Oh my God, it's so scary, literally scary. And it's just about checking on our kids. I know our kids are playing the video games. They, like I have a 17 year old, he's getting ready to graduate. I'm like, boy, you gotta get up and here, boy, no offense. Like you gotta get ready for this college thing, buddy. And, <laughs> we come for you. <laughs> and but I check on him. I'll jump on his bed and act, you know, go to his level. Like, hey, what you doing? You all right? Everything going good? Ain't nobody messing with you at school. You know your mother crazy. I make it into a joke so that way he could feel comfortable. But what we need to do is, I know our kids are at ages, but they're older or they're, they're so into YouTube. But start YouTubing what they're YouTubing. Like when my son come with these new rappers, do I hate it? Absolutely. I can't understand nothing they saying. They're not talking in complete sentences, and they say five things in one sentence. So, right, right, right. But I still step into his world because they do have a different world than what we had growing up. So just check on your babies because during this season, we're dealing with adults with depression, we're dealing with overdoses, we're dealing with 5,000 other things. Right. But the one thing that's not widely on the news is our babies that's telling themselves at a alarming. Yeah. When you you know, you mentioned statistics. One of the statistics that I read is the, the US is home to about four percent of the global population, just four percent. But it accounts for forty four percent of global suicides by firearm. Mm -hmm. Just firearm, we ain't talking about nothing yeah. else. Which talks about gun control and, and access mm -hmm. to guns with people that do have mental health. I mean in 2019, 23,000, over 23,000 people killed themselves. The Whoa. second, the second, na the second nation to the U.S. is India, and they just have 6,000. Look at that. What's going on in, in, in our nation where the accessibility of guns in the mm -hmm. hands of people who have poor health, you know, not to, not to put anything bad, but we just seen what happened in, in Michigan. Yep. Yeah. People around with just all sorts of insecurities in themselves, man, and they think yeah. releasing that is killing someone. Mm -hmm. Killing yeah. themselves. Yeah. Yeah. That's 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 an interesting um, correlation. I think there's a number of different variables in there. Like our gun control as as a country, we have to do better yeah, um, with it. Well, you know, the other thing I think is easy for us to speak to what's going on from a gun control standpoint because we're here. So we don't know what gun control looks like in India, but at the same time, I think, you know, like there is an underrepresentation of, of how mental illness, I think, has impacted a lot of these tra tragedies also. You know, I think most of it just got, gets thrown off on, okay, you know, the parents were negligent, um, the guns were out and things like that, but there is there is definitely a mental health component. When you start looking at like the homicides that have occurred as a result of it and the suicides that have occurred as a, as a result of it. And I think that that's why you have some people that are huge proponents for all this legislation to restrict guns, you know, and you have other people like nah, it's my constitutional right to, um, to bear arms, you know, and I, I, I get it. I think that it is people's constitutional right to bear arms. I just think that there needs to be certain restrictions in yeah. place that prevent guns from going into anybody's 
And right now, like at a very basic level, they have things like courses people need to take mm-hmm. prior to getting licensed for um, right. a permit. I'm actually going tomorrow for my permit at 1130. <laughs> but you know something? The other the other part of it is though, and I don't know, Janelle, because you're going, maybe you could probably speak to this. Like, is there uh, um, some sort of mental health screening to determine if a person is mentally Not some of the paperwork that I filled out so right. far because you go for your appointment tomorrow so they give you four documents to fill out your pedigree right. like your, your general information so mm-hmm. and your fingerprinting um i got into trouble. Now, right? yep i got into trouble a couple of well 2004 <laughs> and i had to go get my disposition and um when i went to criminal court this morning it was just weird like they just like okay discharge and i'm like wow Cash in the it's, box. Just push your paper. Yeah. It's 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 easy at this point. The reason why I am getting a gun and I'm gonna tell people is because um my son is six four. I love the community I live in. So if my neighbors are listening, you guys know I love you and I do. Um, but my son is taller than every police officer in Maid Brook. I'm only speaking for May Brook. Right. He's 6'4". That's he right. He stands towers. out. He stands out. That's right. He towers the police. I'm not going to lie to you. They're about 5'4". Five, 5'5". Five, five. And we do got some cool police officers. Sure. They live in the community, too, so they know the kids. Right. Um, but I said, you're not going to touch mine. Love everybody. But it's just me and my son in this house. And we have a dog who's all of 10 pounds. So. (laughs) And then there's there's a lot of people with illegal guns. And also there's a lot of people with legal guns as well. Because you all know my neighbors are officers. They're police. They're detectives from New York City. Uh, most of my neighbors. If you're not a detective, you work for transit. I think it was a cult that put us all here. But um, we're all a close-knit family, but also I need to protect myself. So they don't do a mental health screening. And Sheena, Sheena yeah. just confirmed it. Nope. No mental health screening. Yeah. So do we need to start implementing that? Absolutely. 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 Hands down. I'll be outside with a picket sign. Yes. They need to be screened. That's right. Um, there's a reason for that. Um, I work in Duchess. You know that is the place where, I don't know if you guys know, but Duchess is the hub for homeless because Duchess County has the best homeless services. So people come from Ohio everywhere to be homeless there. They're mentally ill. They sleep in our garages and stuff. And I can't be on Main Street after five o'clock because it's extremely dangerous. Mm. I never knew that. I never knew that. We we just we just did a show about homelessness out California, mind you. But yeah, oh go to Duchess will well you'll be in shock. You'll be like, why are they all here? And then I found out there's a coach bus which is all up here and it goes north and that's how they get here they, but what about what about duchess what, what about duchess is it that they have the best services oh. to service them so at this point um dss has taken all the empty hotels and stuff 
Um, we're putting them in holiday and days and um, they're going places, but then, you know, there's those homeless people that don't, because of their experience, right. they don't want to go in, but they're very harmful. Like some strip in Dutchess County, you got people walking around naked, but it's more mental. And I don't, th- I, I mean, my personal opinion, I don't think police officers should approach them. I think a mental health counselor should. Mm-hmm. That's a big part. But a lot, a lot of officers need some mental health too, man. Yes, and they don't know. I, everybody, I, I try to clear certain things up. Just because you're a police officer, that does not mean you're a mental health expert. Right. Police officers, you all you need in New York City is to go to um, school for two years. That's an associate's degree, and it's not in armed forces, mental health, or anything. You could go to school. And you could be a cop and have a computer degree, you know, an IT degree. So we need to start educating. Absolutely. Even the people that work in DSS, they don't have a degree in mental health. And that's why Shannon was, like he said on mine, he was bumping heads. But if you ever ask them, what school you went to? Why you here? It's not because of they went to to in this field, and I'm not talking about all of them, but most of them didn't go in this field to to went to school for this. But it was a state job. So you gotta remember DSS is a state job. You're employed by the state, you get the good benefits. So yeah. and, uh, cool wellness cafe says everyone has for, some form of mental illness, which is true. Oh. If you think of that DSM five, everybody fits some type of diagnosis um in there. And I see Sheena is on. Sheena had an opportunity to, um, to work with that organization. I know Sheena is a therapist also, so she can mm-hmm. speak to, um, to mental health. So um, let's talk a little bit also about how do we get to the point, I guess, where, because I know we touched on your IG Live, how do we get to the point where we begin to educate kids and get the discussion around mental health in schools at an earlier age? What do we need to do to make that happen? Well, we, we discussed it and we said um, we need to get in in the school. We need to get therapists that look like all children in every community. Because as you all know, I, I, I'm not a racist person. And I think that they're shorting on mental health as well. All racist. This is, this is like an epidemic. I want to call it it's the pandemic. Mental health pandemic. Forget COVID. Um, we need to start educating and we need to normalize it and how you do that is do not call biden i tell people i'm i'm writing the president you really think he's gonna read your letter sit down starting your community sit down you know think <laughs> you see that south bronx come out of me sit down start in your community how you do that talk to your daggone neighbor i i see people that live in homes for 20 something years so how's your neighbor I, I don't know them how long you lived here right people that's how well, you there's a lot of people that do that i know my neighbors they drop off food i'm at they cookouts i'm enjoying i know everybody in maybrook I, I done turned i made my friend in my house i said y'all i'm from the city i'm not sitting in nobody's backyard that's not what i'm used to but i turned my front into a stoop they be like, where you at on the stoop? It may not be in the Bronx, but I'm on my stoop. You know, so that's, that's how yeah. you start it, Shannon. You cannot go straight up to Biden. 
He too busy. Don't call him. You'll be wasting your time. Right. Start local. And like my son's friends, they, they, my son, they call me Dr. Phil. <laughs> so they know that I help. When I see them in the morning, hey, what y'all doing? Y'all all right? Y'all ate? Y'all good? And that's how you tell people, you know, that you're there to help. That's how you educate. Start with the little one and then work your way up. Because that little one is going to go and tell their mother. And their mother is going to go tell their friend. Yeah. You can't start big. I tell people. And, and, and with the mental health, you can't go big or go home. You got to go small and work your way up. Yeah. yeah, this is a good. This is good right here. As Sheena said there's been an increase in funding for Newburgh School District for more social workers working in a private practice. I have had about a sixty percent increase in my adolescent population. That means that there's clearly there's awareness and it's being addressed. The real okay, work. Okay, they just shot up Newburgh School. Did you hear about it, Shannon? No, I didn't hear about that. Newburgh. To be open to talking to children, the treatment without feeling the stigma attached to it. We talked about this on Wednesday also. Yeah. The stigma attached to treatment, and I. I be wonder. I wonder also, um, Sheena, you get into this as well because I know, um, based on the demographics of where you live. You now I was saying on Wednesday, I think that there's more of a stigma for like city folks. You know, coming from the Bronx, there was more of a stigma associated with actually being in treatment. To when I moved to Connecticut, when I moved to Connecticut, there were plenty of people that oh, were open with the treatment and they were open to treatment. You know, so I don't know if that's a um, geographical thing. I don't know yeah. if it's specific to, to race, religion. Yeah, I think there's so many different variables that, that contribute to that. Um, but I think historically for a long period of time now, people of color have not been the biggest consumers of, um, of therapy. Hopefully though, we'll get there. It seems like at least there's there's some type of openness. I see it happening. Definitely to it. I do see it happening. And it needs to happen fast, man. I mean, yeah, it, it would, I would love for it, but you do see a small, it's not a huge shift. I mean, it took them to shoot up the school and then Indeed.com got, we looking for social workers. That's what happened. Um, November 15th, the kids had a fight on Wednesday. And I think that Friday they were looking for social workers in the Newburgh school. Then also in Poughkeepsie High School, they shot that up. They were sent home. So we had a bunch of kids out of school. It's crazy. And this is November, recently. Right. Less than a month. And they arrested a 14 and a 15-year-old in Dutchess County. Found the gun. The parents were alive and yelling at everybody, including us saying it's the school district fault my kid has a gun and i told my boss please don't have me answer those questions because if anybody thinks my 17 year old upstairs has a lock on his door y'all fooling yourself because oh. i took the door off the hinges you oh. have to search you need to be responsible what comes in your home this happened in the morning so where do you, everybody think the gun slept at the night before Right. Where did the gun sleep? How did the kid put the gun in the book bag? The gun slept with his parents or guardians or whoever's raising these children. Because it's just not parents raising children. We got grandparents raising children these days. Where do everybody think all this stuff stems? A lot of it has to do with the home. And I know our parents are, we, we come from broken homes. I'm one of them. But, and I'm also one of them who finished school. You know what I'm saying? I grew up poor, got my free keys. 
I did all that. We was we had a bill at the bodega too, you know, running it up. My mother would give me money when you get paid. Right? So that's not an excuse. It's not an excuse. It's it has to do with parenting and how we parent and how we get in our kids' world. But it's super bad and she she um she uh Sheena. Sheena's writing some other stuff, but that's how you get it out there. Yeah, Rob, you was gonna say something? Man, it, it, it's, it's just this, I mean, literally, to these things, but we, 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 we do need to support, we need listeners and, and people like ourselves to keep pushing it out so people can hear it, man, and, and really help. Yo, I, 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 what I've done in my life is, you know, I've come across a lot of kids, man, and ones that accepted, put them in my way, and they don't leave. As long as you're receptive and you got ears, you want to listen, you want to learn, you want to grow, I want to give you everything I know. And I got relationships with some young, some real young guys, young women and, and men who are really doing well, man. And I see the power. I already know the power of words, but it's how you administer words to individuals. You don't want them to feel insecure about you telling them or, or saying something to them. And one of the things I like about life coaching is that you, you have to have some sort of feel in order to approach someone. But being a coach, you put that aside, you get right to the to, to the nitty degree. Like, look, this is what you gotta do. You wanna change the life. There's no other way. And I'm here to support you. You know what I mean? And I want and I want to see you succeed. So it has to change. Definitely. That's what I want to do. When you are honest, brutally honest, is the best, best policy. I'm telling you. Mm-hmm. Are more yeah. When a child says, oh, you don't know this, or a parent says, you don't know what it is to be poor, Janelle, you don't know what it is to live in Poughkeepsie. I'm so honest. No, I don't know what it is to live in the city of Poughkeepsie, but I do know what it is to live in the South Bronx. And we're dealing with the same, you know, the racism to this and that. Right. And then they go, oh, really? I thought you lived up the, up, up, uh, I said, no, I, I, I worked to get here where I'm at. I, and, it, and I had to probably put in twice as much as work as somebody else. That's right. But when you're brutally honest with them and you tell them that you know, you know or if you brutally honest and say, I don't know, help me. Help me help you. That's, That's the right. best way to help a kid. Help me help you. That's right. And it's not for the conversation. Because I surely didn't know who Little Dolph was. I know Dolph. And I'm calling him Little Dolph. He probably Young Dolph. Huh? Young Dolph. Oh, yeah, I'm calling him Little Dolph. <laughs> I know who he was. But as soon as Rest my son peace. came down. Yes. Rest in peace. As soon as my son came down and dropped the knowledge. I was like, okay, how are you? That's sad what happened to that rapper. How are you processing that? I'm not saying then, you know me, I Googled him. Oh, okay. He owns his own masters. I ain't know that man from a hole in the wall, but now I can tell you about him. He owns his own masters. He had property. He did this. So that way I can relate to my kid. Yeah. Who on this cafe says parents or guardians got to stop being like they know everything because they're adults. They should kneel down to talk about what they go through freely with their children. Be more eye to eye. Yeah, this is this is something that I think is a great. This is something I think that's a great point. I think 
yes, again, a, a lot of the stuff that comes up that we're confronted with comes from also, it's, it's generational, it's passed down from generation to generation in a sense of where almost like you think about that old adage that children are to be seen uh-huh. and not heard kind of thing, or the adult, the parent is the expert, you know? So if you were raised in a household where your parents were the expert, it's only natural that you're gonna believe that you're an expert. And I think that also we have to figure out at some point as parents, we have to be the ones that sort of break that that generational cycle around right. the approach to parenting and be able to model for our children for when our children become parents to help them get in a position where they become more receptive to, um, to some of the stuff. And then that, that that's why I think also when I start looking at how therapy is consumed based on, um, you know, how therapy is consumed based on race. And I'm not saying that because we're black or Latino that we're, you know, we're far more stringent with our children. I think that that coupled with the fact that we also have had experiences with therapy and treatment have been bad mouth for many years to people and people have gotten clowned for it. You put that together and that makes for a whole hodgepodge of people being reluctant to actually enter into any kind of treatment or to even acknowledge that people have mental illness or have mental health issues for years. You know, all of us have had somebody in our family that people just sort of shut it away. They, you know, even they left them to roam the streets. They sent them away. They put them in the back room, whatever it is. And we never really dealt with it or had a conversation about it. Beat it out of them. The spanking. They beat the ADHD out of you. You got to spank it for jumping around. Instead of, you know, in my day, I mean, I was raised in the 80s, 90s. So no one, oh, he need an ass whooping. That was the word. Nobody (laughs) never walked up to the kid and said, are you okay? What's going on? And then we could have found out the kid is being touched by Uncle Tommy. So every time he's jumping around, it's because he don't want Uncle Tommy to touch him. Or why this kid is not taking a shower is because the kid was raped. Right. Want to be dirty? The kid don't want uncle or mommy boyfriend or daddy girlfriend to touch them. But we never ask those questions. I know. I know. In my family, no one ever asks. Do you need somebody to talk to? No. Go to your uncle. Do not act right. Go like they passed you along the village. Right. 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 Yeah. <laughs> a, a lot. Of, a lot of. A lot of people's trauma has been has been diminished. You know, about them being told to get over it. Or you're told you okay, you okay, or you know, or kids coming to attempt to express whatever it is they're going through, and the parent disregarding it, not wanting to hear it, or calling it an, an excuse. And where I think kids now today have over us is that kids have get they have somewhat access to the language to be able to express this stuff. You know, when we were younger, we come from a time where when these behaviors were exhibited, it was just that people viewed it as oh, this kid is acting out or whatever it is, you know. And the parents weren't trying to listen to the mental health professionals, but I think now you have kids that know that they have, some of them have that language around, well, you know, I suffer from anxiety or, you know, I suffer from depression, you know, I suffer from this or that, or whatever it is. And I think that us as parents, people that's even in a professional capacity with them, we can't can't allow ourselves to diminish whatever it is that they have. Now, the, the flip side of that though, is I am opposed though to people always being quick to slap some form of a diagnosis yeah. on a right. kid. I think that that, that helped, that happens far too That's often. That's the school system. This day and age, like people have diagnosis, you know, at a very early, and it's like, how could you have a personality disorder 
before you even fully have developed your personality. Like you can't give a person that access to disorder and they 14 years old <laughs> kind of thing. Like, you know, it, it's, it's 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 the, the kid ain't even old yet. Yeah, yeah, the kid ain't schizo. Let's find out what's going on. But that, that, that is them from the school and then these parents knew that they could get a check if they had a kid with diagnosis I, I know you guys remember when all the kids was getting these social security checks I'm like oh my god what are y'all doing to y'all kids y'all gonna pump them with medication and get a check it, 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 let me tell you the system and us as a whole we gotta do better we gotta do better. You bring up a good a good point though, Janelle. Like even the, the stuff around the medication, because I think also when you start looking at like culturally mm-hmm. and you know even socioeconomic status and things like that, like there are a lot of people that aren't even receptive to medication. Mm. As a result of it, they're like, I'm not I'm not putting my kids on no meds or this that or whatever. So imagine if your kid when they're young, and I was just saying like when they're young, you don't want to have this diagnosis on them, but your kid gets older and grows to be a young man or you know becomes a man and you you're still you still parenting them because they're still in your home or you're still trying to be a resource to them but you have apprehension about them being in treatment and getting medication they have apprehension about it also like sometimes i feel like we may be doing a disservice to our children or our loved ones by shooting down you know even the thought of maybe you should attempt to take some kind of Medicine. And I'm not saying that medicine is for everybody, but I do think it that works for some. Medication has is benefits yeah. that increase people's quality of life. Like if you're a person yeah. that you know you, you suffer um, because you're bipolar, and any given minute your mania will have you euphoric and at the top, mm-hmm. at the height where you're feeling great. Yeah, then right, the next right. minute, you know, oh, yeah, you're sure. depressed where yeah. you, you, you contemplating suicide. Like it may not be hurtful to actually indulge in some form of medication. If no, if drugs, drugs bring you up, they bring you down. Yeah. And if you're not administered and paid attention to the watch those signs, they're leaving this kid up under under their own devices, man, and they'll make their own decisions when ain't nobody around. Yeah, so true. What I say is, okay, so I had to learn the hard way. I can't say this at my nine to five, but when a parent because, you know, I work under, you know, DSS. So they think is if the doctors say they need it, force the parent to give it to them. This is what I say. If you don't want to take the meds, can you look into something holistic? We cannot say that at the nine to five. Mm-hmm. As a life coach, I could surely say that. And my insurance, you can sue me if you want to. I got insurance. But <laughs> my thing is, listen. If everyone, if you don't want to take the risk at all because your son is going to develop breast, or you don't want to take this and you don't want to give your kids this, the Adderall, it's addictive, the ambient addiction, you know, all of that falls under the opiate umbrella. This is what I say. Look up your kid's diagnosis. Look up the holistic way. Because sometimes, like Rob said it, Rob said it, sometimes what the heck we eat? It's that simple to, instead of giving, well, I'm going to say now or later, because you guys remember now or later. (laughs) Instead of eating great now or later, five times a week, try to get the kid an apple. 
Right. A orange. Right. They'll give, if you're going to give the kid the annihilator, give the kid the annihilator. Be like, if you eat this apple, orange, watermelon, whatever, kiwi, whatever, Monday through Thursday or Friday, I'll get you a pack of annihilator. Because right. what the parent is going to realize is the kid is not as hype as usual with natural sugar. That's right. That's right. And your body your body responds to it a lot better. It gets them the, the endorphins and that dopamine and that serotonin going on in your body. So you don't need no red, no riddle. You don't need yeah. no ambient because you got so much serotonin. When it's time to take a nap, go take a nap. Yeah. You know, nothing to put you down. You know go I mean? go the natural way. Drink some herbal tea if your anxiety is up. Smell peppermint. Smell lemon if you're feeling down. Eucalyptus. Yup. Put those things in your atmosphere. So right. if the parent is so gun hold on, no. And we are still trying as workers at our nine to five because that's what the contract says and all that crap. If if we have a way to say, why don't you just look it up? Try something else. They um Sheena says also the amount of primary care physicians prescribing mental health medications without therapy as a caveat. This is so true. You go in oh, the, the, the doctors that try to give people oh, anything. Yeah. <laughs> and then, the pediatricians giving kids these meds. Like, yeah, with, with so so I, I do think like I, I do think I don't think medication is for everybody, but I do think that yeah. there are some people that medication can increase their quality of life. Of course. That, that we have we have we do have to be mindful because I think the same way we've created the stigma around people actually getting treatment. No, we, we most definitely, if it works for you, use it, Chanel. That's what I was going to say. Like, we got to be careful because we don't want to create the stigma or the stigma around people taking the actual um, medication. Like, I do believe that there are natural remedies that people can use, but I do think also that there are people that are profoundly mentally ill that, that you know, them being on a small dose of something could yeah. mean the difference between them actually being alive or not you know i'm not saying that people need to be over medicated because if you had a good psychiatrist that was actually prescribing these medications then they're going to titrate the medication because you want the person to be on the least amount of medication possible if you dope a person up so much that they can't function then then it makes no sense for them to be on medication the medication is supposed to enhance the quality of your life not diminish the quality of your life cool wellness cafe also sell also says I'm a massage therapist and I believe massage therapy for children suspected with ADHD or whatever mental problems has helped. I agree. I do think I that they're one great massage. You get someone to massage your, the back of your neck and your brain and your head. <laughs> you, yo, you start to melt. <laughs> yo, it's true. And that's just touch. There goes that's one of your five senses. Knowing the, 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 the touch, that I, I believe all massage, they're just masters at it when they to make you relax. They can touch mm -hmm. your, your ankles and your feet. And you just feel like, oh, that's, that's, that's your body communicating with you. Those are the endorphins, mm -hmm. that's the serotonin being moved around your body. But when you're eating sugars and all these other chemicals, it's blocking your natural chemicals from reaching the brain, sending a signal to the parts of the body that need it more. You know I'm, what I I'm for both. I'm for if the medicine works for you. It works for you. Like Sheena said, you're taking the medicine and you have a therapist, I'm all for it. You're taking the medicine and your pediatrician are giving it to you and they're not referring you out to someone, I have an issue with that, Shannon. 
because yeah. we we gotta remember that you know if we keeping it real, pharma needs to be rich. Mm-hmm. Pharmaceutical, okay. Mm-hmm. And the only way that pharma can get the value of money that they're getting, the volume of money, is by pushing these drugs, right? It's a business. Everybody got to understand that part too. So like you said, titrate the medicine. If we giving Joey 75 milligrams of Ambien for the month of June, we give it the 30 days to work because you know it got to work through the body. The body got to get used to it. By the summer, he should be, let's say 65, 55. I don't think those are the milligrams, but you get what I'm saying. Like, bring it down. Right. You get a good good psychiatrist and a good psychiatrist is going to do that. You know what I was... I was just thinking, I was thinking in, a, in like, it just in the spirit of wellness, right? You see like all kind of jobs, they offer incentives for um, physical wellness. And the reason why they offer incentives for physical wellness is it, it reduces the cost of insurance in the long term. So that's why you see some jobs like, okay, if you have a primary care physician, you get a certain amount of dollars off your plan or whatever it is. I wonder why we haven't gotten to a place, or maybe we have, and I just don't realize where we're being proactive in terms of mental health where we're offering wellness incentives for people who are engaged in mental health treatment like there are people who go and see therapists clinicians and they're not going because they have mental health issues they're going just because you know what i feel like this is something that helps me you know on a regular day it helps me to have an outside observer it helps me to have somebody to talk to that don't have anything to do they don't have any skin in the game and I'm and I'm I'm thinking about that in the context of school and with children and everything like that. Like I was saying on your live, like how do we get to a point where we start that narrative? I remember younger, you guys are old enough to may remember or not. Remember they used to have the junior achievement program that would come into school and they would talk about like business and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Kids they around home ec is out of school. Right. Yeah, so you start priming kids around this stuff as it relates to mental health you know and it not from a punitive standpoint of okay your mom got caught doing drugs so now you got to go sit with a family therapist <laughs> and talk about how this impacted the relationship but more so a way of you know the same way that you go to the gym to exercise this is the gym that you go to to exercise your mental health to make sure that not only are you physically healthy but you're also mentally healthy or spiritually healthy like that's a component that i think that we need to figure out how do we introduce these concepts into society how do we introduce these concepts into the school you know and of course everything goes back to funding but i think that that would in the long run they have budgets and what we need to do is because you could go to a school as a private contractor right Mm. so um i had built it's on my website i haven't really reached out to schools but adverse childhood experiences right mm-hmm. we all have it we all have trauma why don't we bring so i said bring self-care in the schools and i create 16 weeks curriculum as to what is self-care to a child um and I built the program. It's just about me going out there and sending it to schools. But there is money. There is money. We gotta, we gotta stop 
you know, the act cards, the this, and really, you know, the act cards, you be good this day, you get a red point, you get a blue point. Let, let's cut all that out and really find out why the kid is acting out. So if you take that money, and I'm not just saying my program, but there's a lot of programs and people that build programs that can be implemented in the school where it, it's not a cost for insurance so that when you come in as a contractor, they don't have to um, pay for your health insurance or anything. And that's what the schools need. Get an outsider. Don't hire Shannon because he's the daggone math teacher to talk about mental health. And that's what they're doing. So instead of outsourcing, they're saying, well, Shannon's a man. And he gave us the example. Oh, he's a black man. So we're sitting with black kids. We're sitting wrong with the white kids. He's white. They, we are all related. And then we'll write this up saying that we have two events. One is social studies teacher. One is the math teacher. None of them never gone through nothing. But we're going to have them go ask these kids, how you doing? Right? We got. That's where you started at. You get these people. At, and what I tell people, like my clients have done with my coaching program is, most of them said, I've been stalking you for months. I said, you did the right thing because I ain't giving my money to somebody I don't stalk enough. So I tell them you did the right thing. That way you can say, parents, go look at um, No Ideas Original Podcast. What do you guys think about that? And let the parents say, them two guys, them three guys on there, oh my God, we need them in the school. You get what I'm saying? We right. have social media. That's how you could get it out there. It's by introducing this stuff to the schools and let them stop pulling teachers. Teachers are already pulled thin already, trying to get these kids to read and write after two years of COVID. That's a fact. That's a fact. That burnt out too. I mean, we can't. I don't know why a lot of people, like, we put it all on the teachers. The teachers need to do this, they need to be more active. The teachers are spread thin and they got babies at home themselves. Right, they gotta create lesson plans. They gotta implement these things. Yeah. They make sure it works. Bye. I wish we had a principal listening to this because <laughs> that's how we can educate. I mean, we're using you're using your platform. I'm using my platform, and that's the best way at this point because of COVID. So you know you can't go many places. Yeah, as a, as a as a life coach, how important is it to have a background in psychology? Okay, so I'm going to speak for me. Because I don't want to put my stuff on no one. So I'm going to speak. I feel that when you're hiring someone to help you, that they have some sort of background in the mental health field. The reason why is just because we're life coaches and we're supposed to be like basketball coaches and football coaches and baseball coaches, Think of those players on the field. They got a lot of issues. Then the football player just beat his wife. Yeah. Okay. So you can give him a life coach, someone that has no experience. He's gonna pay her millions because he's in the NFL and he's happy to have a life coach. But put someone in your life that knows what they're doing. Not so. I mean, we have the book smart because we had to get that, I call it the stupid piece of paper to be great. <laughs> and thousands of dollars. Right, later. But, um, that's what I would say. It's important because of what you're going through. But most important, get somebody that's relatable. 
Forget all that book smart, relatable. You know, it's, it's, I don't know how true it is, but I, I could have sworn somebody said that Ayala Van Zandt, well, of course, she's not a clinician, no. but that Ayala Van Zandt credentials don't have anything to do with like psychology or it doesn't or any of that stuff, right? I don't know if at one point she was, I don't know, was she an attorney? No. She was something, right? She? She's an attorney, she's a pastor, mm-hmm. and she's a life coach, mm-hmm. right? She never claimed that she had the mental health background. Her mental health background came from the streets of Brooklyn. She grew up in Brooklyn. Her experiences, yeah. Her life experiences. So people were saying that she was more damaging than helpful. That was coming from the clinician. I'm gonna pick my words, that's why I'm breathing well. Remember, I'm a clinician. I know, no. You are a clinician. But you, Shannon, I think we can keep it real. You're in your own business now. Everything that you learned in school, right? Mm-hmm. You're able to put a word to someone's experiences, right? ADHD kid jumping around, right? Mm-hmm. Now you know what it means. Attention deficit hyperactive disorder, right? We saw it as, sit down, stop moving. You're jumping too much, right? Mm -hmm. Those are your life experiences with ADHD. So when your client as a clinician comes in, you know it's ADHD, but when you're talking to someone who don't want to hear that, you could say, do you wonder why your kid can't sit and jumping all over the place? You become relatable. I completely understand why that's why when we have a clinician and I've worked with some amazing clinicians and then I worked with some clinicians and was like I ain't going on no home visit with you to get me beat up I'm not doing <laughs> right I've also worked with a cl- with a few clinicians that had their own mental health so most of the clinicians come in because they're suffering themselves one clinician I worked with she was a cutter Wow. And mind you, I'm working with doctor this one and this doctor this one. And I said, I just went in the office. I said, why are you always wearing long sleeve shirts? Is something wrong? Because it's 500 degrees outside. And she was like, you know, I've been doing this for a very long time and you're the only one that noticed that. I said, because I care. Are you okay? You can, you can, you see the sign. I knew. Right, you see the sign. You see the sign. Another clinician, she was Caucasian, but she had like thick, thick, thick eyelashes. And I was like, but it wasn't, she wasn't using it as a fashion statement. You know how we put the mascara and all that stuff. (laughs) I said, okay, maybe this is her first week of work. Now I'm working with you a whole year. I was like, can we go to TGI Friday? She said, yeah, I sat her down. I said, are you okay? Why you act? I said, I noticed your eyelashes and this big bush of hair. And I'm, I'm concerned. I love you. I love working with you. And she was cool. She said, every night I pluck my hair out. Oh, wow. I know somebody that did that too. And I said, what is it that I can help you with? She was like, us sitting at DJ on Friday getting a $5 meal helps. That's when they had the $5 appetizer. <laughs> That's right. I okay. 
So, in no sense, they're not getting help for their mental illness. Yeah, I think I think I don't you know I don't necessarily believe that you need to be a um, have a psychology degree or be a clinician to successfully evoke um, okay. change in a person's life. You know, like a lot of people keep really good counseling from their pastors. Yeah, you know, um, even like life coaches and stuff like that. So I don't think you need to have a formal clinical degree or a license to be effective as um, as a clinician. I think where clinicians come into place is when you start talking about like clinical uh, models, modalities and stuff like that. You know, like some clinicians have specific training on certain models. Um, but again, like I've, I've watched, I used to be a fan of, um, I was at Ayala Fix My Life. Yes, and I've watched her do some amazing, amazing intervention yes. with people that didn't have anything to do with, she didn't use clinical jargon, but they were good interventions. You know, so I guess that, and I, I get why people as clinicians would get upset about it because people are like, I spent all this money getting licensed and here she is giving advice on the stuff. Like I listen in the morning, sometimes I'm driving in to, um, to work or if I have a chance to, I'll listen to Steve Harvey or these people give relationship advice and everything. And I'm like, these people aren't experts in this. They didn't go to school for it. But some of this stuff is about your own experience yeah. and being able to you know, use your own experience in layman's terms to actually, you know, help people around it and change. Like you could be the world's greatest therapist and not be as successful as somebody who is not a therapist, but they gain the trust of whoever the client is to help them um, with change. So as far as like the psychology degree part, like I don't, for a life coach, I don't think it's necessary. I think that what I quality- I think I some educational outsource. Like say if someone comes and as a life coach, I cannot help them. I'm gonna outsource. Right. You, I'm gonna tell them. Even on my podcast, I always say this is not mental. This is this podcast is not for mental health treatment. Please go see someone, and if you need help, I also say at the end, call me, and I'll help you find someone because we are not know-it-alls, right? Sure. Even though I do have the background and I do say I'm a social worker and I went to school and all of that, I do enjoy the life coaching, but I love the fact that my education and life experiences I can incorporate. Yeah. And I, I I am upset that so many people were so angry with Iyala. And the reason why is I think she's doing great work. And her, she may not have the degree, but she has the experience. Yeah. Has, like I never was beat up. Uh, Iyala's ex-husband beat her morning, noon, and night, right? She would be a great resource for someone who's dealing with domestic violence to that capacity. Opposed to Maybe Shannon, who's licensed marriage family, you're licensed marriage family therapist. So mm -hmm. she may come from it. I don't know if you had DV in your life, but you understand what I'm saying, Shannon? Yeah. Yes, she has firsthand experience. It would be a better fit. Mm -hmm. But as a therapist, you gotta be okay with saying that. And yeah, our yeah. therapists in our communities and in other communities are not okay saying it. I'm not a good fit for you because I I could understand, I could listen, I could give advice, 
but you're looking for someone with life experiences that can help you and i don't have the life experiences yeah it, it to me i think it really depends on the um the client because there are some clients and there's that there are clients who they want people who have had that experience yeah help them they feel like that'll be helpful and then there are therapists that know that if they've had that experience they can't be any good to the clients because they may not have resolved so it, it kind of you know it does you just gotta watch what you do shannon and and for all of us watch what we do be prepared to outsource and be prepared to say i can't help you i i don't care how many degrees i got hanging on this wall and certificates and every training i've been through i can't help you and i can do that i can and i'm comfortable doing that be honest man and yeah. if yeah. they say well i still want to work with you that's fine i still want to work with you too but i think we need to have another expert in the building with us when we're doing the work or yeah. someone that we could talk to like if i have a client who's going through something with marital i'll call you shannon and i'll say hey one of my coaches need this help or rob one of my coaches is you know suffering from diabetes and need a kidney transplant i i could google it but them hearing it from rob is so much better and easier than me and i have type 2 diabetes but it hasn't affected my kidneys or anything yet so it's, it's just a way to that we as adults and this also breaks the stigma around mental health we can't be know-it-alls because we're not yeah this this comment that cool on this cafe yeah. which says 11 years ago my college professor sat me down and asked me if i was okay because she saw my hair loss and bruise on arm no one had asked me and she encouraged me to leave if she wasn't there i'd never i'm, I'm a dv survivor wow wow That's powerful yeah not to you cool well cool wellness cafe very powerful so again like i think you know in, in terms of um the, the mental health discussion i think we need to make sure that we're mindful especially during the holiday that people are easily triggered and we need to be conscious of this and make sure that you know whatever the intervention may be whether it's telling a person that they should seek professional help or just being kind of like that listening here for them you know it's, it's i think it's extremely important i want to switch gears for a second and talk about um something that we were talking about before we even started the podcast is um the stuff going on in new york city with these i, be, I believe i don't know if they're called safe houses but i know it's getting a, a, a lot of backlash what's it called no i said it's getting a lot of attention yeah it's getting it's getting a lot yeah, it's a harm reduction program where New York City has opened up two sites where they're allowing people to come in to um, the site and use their drugs. I think they also have services in place for um, for people also while they're using their drugs. But some of the feedback that they've been getting recently is that the sites are located close to schools. So I'm just wondering, you know, from folks in the audience and even Janelle and Rob, like, what is your what's your opinion on this? What is, what's your thought? around this. We can start with Rob and then we'll go to Janelle. Listen, man, my, my, I express my thoughts of the overusage of giving someone the free access to blow their brains out, just get high all day. And because you're behind closed doors and the doors is locked, 
you can do it. Now, it being around schools, it should be a no-no. Because you can't sell drugs around schools. Why would you, why would you even set up a scenario where drug users are around I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't get the correlation with that. I think it's it, a very bad idea. Very bad idea. But it, I understand it, its premise, though. Is it I, because it's the optics is that they that they're um, condoning use of drugs around schools? Because people right. use drugs around schools all day. Absolutely, it's the optics. You're giving it the okay. People, people watch with their eyes. They learn with their eyes first. You look, learn, you look, listen, and observe first before you open your mouth. So I'm coming out of school and I'm seeing that. It's, totally distracting me from getting on the bus and I'm watching where I'm going it, 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 it might be giving me PTSD because I'm actually paying attention to this crap you know what I mean my, my, like I said my, my only thing about it was the OD but having them having them around school I don't think it's a great idea yeah yeah you know okay so my opinion the schools was a no no because if we, we remember all the crack valves we used to see in the playground and the needles and couldn't go to Orchard Beach. So absolutely not. Did we need those facilities? Absolutely. Because we're dealing with an epidemic with opiate o- overdose, right? People are dying. So a lot of people, like Rob said, oh, you're giving them drugs. They're coming in with the drugs and um, they're testing them to make sure there's no fentanyl. Then they're allowing them to go in. Now, mind you, there's a therapist there. They're giving them clean linen so that they can use these drugs, right? So that's harm reduction, giving them clean needles, giving them a space to do it, testing the the illegal drugs. Then what they're doing is also counseling them around it. So for me as a, a substance abuse recovery coach, which and I just became one, so I never had my first client, but part of our training was one question we would ask, let's say, Rob, how many bags of dope do you use daily? Right. You would answer. Right. And then I would say, have you ever thought about reducing the bag? Right. Right, right. Saying, if he's taking 10 bags of dope a day, he is not going to listen to cold turkey. <laughs> and do you know how sick he'll be if he goes cold turkey? Do you know how sick? Now, we're talking heroin, so it makes your body sick, right? Because I remember, like, I know about chocolate. You know, we used to give my father chocolate, like Snickers and Kit Kat and... Nessie crunches things with milk chocolate in it because that would make him better so that he could go outside and buy the bag because his body was hurting so much, right? Right, right. Those was one of the struggles. So with harm reduction is just getting you to reduce it, reducing the harm. Right. So bringing the harm out is let them go get high in one more bathroom and die with no knocking. Because I think at this point, if we go in Walmart and ask you guys have a Narcan kit on hand? They probably say no. What is that? No, that makes sense. That, that you should have. You should have available everywhere. Yeah. So what I say is, who absolutely ding dong? Who the heck did that stupid? No, that I'm really angry about that. I didn't know it was around the school. Did we need those facilities? Absolutely. Yeah. 
Sheena just um came up on the platform and Sheena's a clinician. Hi, how are you? What's going on, Sheena? As it relates to the um the safe house stuff though, I'll say like one um my thoughts around it is I think like again like the optics of it being around the school is is that's off to me. But the other part of it is I'm I'd like to think that strategically it was placed there because maybe there was heavy drug use already in the area. And maybe they said that, you know what, all right, there's heavy drug use in the area and rather having it out, again, the optics, ha- having it out in the open and exposed, if we can actually get these people indoors so people don't have to experience them getting high on the street, maybe that's, from a visual standpoint, maybe that helps with the... Oh, the visual is bad. For yeah, a five-year-old to come out of school and see a person... And have to see, go, exactly. So I don't, I don't know. For me, I was 44, and when I saw my dad... Because remember, I was the one who found him. So I got to see all that stuff coming out their nose. It was like, sometimes when I close my eyes, I still see it. Mm. So it, it most definitely is not something kids could, could handle. But if you have these facilities, you're bringing that particular crowd in these facilities, right? We're getting well, if, if I could say, I think like being in the inner city of like working with a lot of kids in the city of Newburgh, they're exposed. They're exposed. Like they, they see, they feel, they heal, they do all this stuff. And you know the real the crappy part about it is that kids are resilient. They're so resilient and they see this stuff and they power through it. So when we're talking about in the city, and we're talking about having these like these type of facilities around schools. I find it as almost like a safe house for not only the kids, but also the parents that have perpetuated the cycle of illness and providing these services. Because at the end of the day, this is a generational issue. It's the same reason why sex offenders are not allowed to reside within certain like, you know, um, areas within the school or playgrounds or whatever it is. But we don't have those same laws and stipulations when it comes to drugs or drug offenses. So it's kind of like, you know, we're, we're trying to like capture the fish with the bait, you know, we're trying to like get those things going. And it may be, it may be a little bit more um, difficult at because we got to go through some of the, some of the pull before we get through the real crux of the crime. But it almost seems like what we have to do to, to actually address the issue at hand. Yeah, I, you know, again, it's 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 not. It doesn't. It, the optics of it doesn't look good. But I understand. Yeah. I understand harm reduction and yeah. how harm reduction works because at the end of the day, people that were going to use, they're going to use anyway. Yeah. They may have used in that in that neighborhood, so their thought process yeah. around it is that you know maybe we could help stop the spread, transmission of HIV. Maybe we could help reduce um, overdose. Maybe uh-huh. we can possibly get somebody in and provide them with some services that'll make them rethink. The possibility of um using, you know, I also believe that part of people's use is not always connected to solely like the high. I think some of it is also the life that's associated with getting high. You know, like there's some of that, some of like the the stuff associated with getting high, like the back alley stuff and all that or whatever is for some reason it has some level of attraction or it's part of the life that actually comes with it. So we have to as people shift from the mindset of oh we you know we're we're allowing the people to do the drugs the people are gonna do the drugs 
anyway. It's the same way when school started saying we're gonna distribute condoms, how people was like, you're talking to the kids about sex. You're encouraging them to have sex. No, what they, they have to sex. do is reduce. They have a sex, what they want to reduce is unwanted pregnancies or sexually um, transmitted infections, sexually transmitted diseases. It doesn't always look good. It doesn't always feel good to people. But at the end of the day, harm reduction is about actually reducing the harm around it, you know, and that there has to be some level of openness to us actually trying these different type of interventions, you know. I don't know where the sites are, but I'm I, offhand just thinking like Third Avenue in the Bronx. You know, it's a hub where you go down. Yeah, that would be a perfect site. One Thirty Fourth Street, perfect site. Yeah, all all over the place. So some of it, the optics. We talking about the the visual of it. Maybe the optics, the visual is like this is the neighborhood where we know that there's a high amount of use and we want to clean it up or get it from out of the general public having the experience that the people who don't want to have nothing to do with it, if they take it indoors, then we don't have to see it. And it's sad, it's the tree falls in the woods thing. You know, are people really using drugs? And we used to see them on the street doing it. Now they're not around. Well, now they're, now they're indoors doing it. So I would, like, I would like to believe that there's some sort of strategy associated with them doing it, not them just looking around and saying like, the school's there, put it there. there. And then I think they're also like, when we start talking about these different programs and things like that, there's always gonna be the NIMBY, not my backyard. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like, it, it's just a fact. It's the same way everybody's screaming, yo, we gotta close Rikers. All right, we gotta close Rikers. We, and oh. we move to like these smaller facilities. You want it next to your house? <laughs> we went through that up here, right? Rikers Island open, just fix it. There's enough land there to fix it. Um, oh, we got man. a home reduction facility in, at 280 Broadway in Newburgh. They hand out the fentanyl testers. Um, they also donated me 75 Narcan kits because I'm a Narcan trainer. So there's things that there's things that's there to help. I mean, like I said, I would have preferred one of the facilities to be on Third Avenue. It's where it's at. And, and and I don't know what school, so I do want to check because I don't want to speak out of turn. But if it's like Carnal Hayes or something and it's next to that, why? Why, why, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get what I'm saying? If it's yeah. next to our good schools and we threw that facility there, what about where we need the facility? See, it's a place to put a facility and need it. So, Sheena, I'm glad you said that we don't know the address. So we would like to investigate the address because Cardinal Hayes is already a push, very close to Supreme Court. So if you put it over there, where's the harm reduction done at? We well, you know, when it comes to harm, harm reduction, I don't think it's necessarily about like the PPPs, the people, places, and things. Like right. there are opportunities for harm reduction in the most affluent of neighborhoods and in the most like urban neighborhoods like and having working with both of those like populations everybody needs harm reduction everybody needs awareness everybody needs the ability to have that second order change where their awareness comes on the side of the parent where they're able to empower their children and that's where it really comes from because if the parents are not able to actually come into terms with the fact that something is happening and there's something that needs to be changed, how do we expect the children to follow through? Right. Oh, that's true. Like, I'll be honest, like today, 
I had like I've been working with this uh the sex trafficking um patient that I've been working with. She's 14. And she's been virtually sex trafficked for two years. That's another issue too. Virtually sex trafficked for almost two years. And she has a 70-year-old adoptive parent who is unable to facilitate or work through any of this. And it's nobody's fault. Like, who would have thought that in this day and age we've been working with virtual sex trafficking? But we also have to work and keep up with the times to protect our kids. Right. Yeah. And that's what it's really about. About staying up and staying aware and being able to, bu- to to support them through it. And not allowing people to re-victimize them. Mm-hmm. Especially school districts that are predominantly looking at our children of color in a way that is not productive. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm going to tell you? Like one, one of the uh, most unpopular harm reduction methods I heard people use that I was like I would never use that as a parent to this day I never have I used to hear people say that they're um they'd be like oh you know um Johnny's mom allows us to get high or drunk in their basement that way at least they know absolutely not (laughs) not happening over here I'll be in jail I won't be going to get a gun let's not all go to jail yeah (laughs) you heard that though right haven't you yes yes we heard it um the party You know the disturbing part of that though, Janelle, is the fact that the reason that they were getting hotels was because they were able to obviate the legal disposition of having it in in house. In their house, yeah. Yeah. Because if they were hosting those parties, they they absolutely. So I bring I bring that up to say though, I bring that up to say like how harm reduction the optics of harm reduction, there's some things that look better than others, but the optics of harm reduction is always going to be one that people are going to be like, you doing what? You doing mm-hmm. what to do what? You know, so, in a, it, like, I've heard people refer to it as, okay, so New York City now created the Enterprise. Uh, remember, that, it was the Enterprise from New Jack City? <laughs> they, 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 they created the Carter. They created the now. Yeah. <laughs> The car, the Carter, you go to the Carter, and then you go to the Enterprise. Cause Scotty's beaming you up. It, it just, you know, I think it's we got to be clear about it. Like I don't, they're not supplying the drugs. What they're trying to do is create, I guess, a, a, a safe haven around it. And um, and I know, and I know that this, when you start looking at harm reduction, this has to be linked to some form of data 
the clap party or the chlamydia party was probably like a couple of parents that got together and said that this is this is what they wanted to do. But I'm the state and the city are smart enough that there has to be a direct correlation with data for them to put something like this in place that says that if we have this, it reduces the amount of overdose that we have, it reduces the transmission of disease and things like that. And they're gonna get the statistics on it. It's it's gonna be worth it. Those buildings are gonna be worth it because the statistics is this person came in with fentanyl, this person came in with fentanyl, we tested right. it, right. We and it. we stopped the overdose. Right. So right now, where we at, 100,000, over 100,000 in the US for this year of overdose, right? So how, and, and that's amongst the whole, all 50 states. So how do you reduce that 100,000 to maybe 50,000? 75, anything lower than 100,000. Yeah. It's right. gonna make it's gonna make it big. Well, a monitor. So that's the thing that's been happening in Orange County that I realized of late was that in the past week there's been an increase of deaths with fentanyl-related deaths. Mm -hmm. So the sheriff's office, the DA's office, everybody's cracking down on this stuff. And now what they're doing is they're opening up more safe havens. To, to monitor this in an increased way just to be able to decrease the deaths and while it's morbid it's also like a way of looking at this is what we need to do it's right. the like, best thing to me if we can give you a, 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 a warm place to shoot up at least then we can monitor you Mm -hmm. yeah. Aren't they here. doing testers? Aren't they doing testers at these sites too? Like testing people's drugs to make sure that they're not yeah. They are. Um, Seth, Seth, mm -hmm. they doing it. Um, yeah, they're giving out testers. The, the the people are upset about it, but I'm like, we, you're saving a life. You can't they're tell doing them testers, but they're also doing like don't ask, don't tell in a, in a lot of different places. Mm -hmm. And where if folks show up, they're able to just kind of hunker down and be monitored. And I think that at the end of the day is one of the most blessed places that somebody who's struggling with addiction can go. You know who, who probably would have, imagine how a dealer may feel about this, right? Because oh of the different you can't even Yeah, remember. you know, they, you, they, you, <laughs> a drug dealer is not going to be that excited because not that, not at all. Not that he's been excited. Drug dealers. I don't want to act like I'm a drug dealer, but if you don't know the connect you getting it from, and you giving all these people fentanyl, and they coming back and back, and then we got a whole bunch of deaths, exactly. you're gonna get a murder charge. So I mean, I mean, that's or, 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 or. when I when I was at when I was at the jail, we had to put several people in protective custody because of that same reason. Mm -hmm. Because they were probably telling where they got their drugs from. No, and... They tried to get clean. They were trying to get healthy. And then they, and because it's a county jail, they were released. And guess what they were released back into? Their community with no protection. So what they got released into was a was a brigade. And a whole manhunt. And they came, and you know what they did? They did the ultimate of like petty slash grand larceny just to get back into jail with Bill safe. Yeah. Cool Wellness Cafe says another thing though, some go to rehab places and meet others and they meet outside and do more drugs. Hope that wouldn't be the case. I think it's important for us to make the distinction though that the, the safe houses, they're not rehab, rehabs. They're not telling they're not people come in and you get clean. They're telling people come in 
for, you, um, you know, for harm reduction purposes. So now you don't have to be out in the street getting high. If you don't have needles, here's clean needles. You know, if you if no, you um, stop the spread of AIDS. Yeah, or if you're concerned about you know, drugs possibly being laced with fentanyl. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. test it here first and. So again, I, I think it's a, a foreign concept that for some people, and it's going to take a while for people to accept it, but over a period of time, if they can show data that actually supports the effectiveness of it, and not data to only scholars, data to the general public, I think people will probably be a lot more receptive to it. Agreed. Yeah, they're going to have the data. We're not going to miss out on that. I think it's going to, the data is going to show. The data has to go to the general public, though, so the people that... I need to know, like for the people in the neighborhood, they need to know why strategically this place was placed here yeah. and how it's reduced, how it's beneficial to them. You know, right. like say whatever it is or for, for any of us, if we own property in a neighborhood, like right now, ne- if next door to me, it popped up and it was like, well, this is the new safe house or whatever it is, I'm gonna say, okay, so what's the rationale for it being next door? I could be as altruistic and, and, and a great person everything but i'm also going to be looking at my property value and say okay why is it here like it has to make sense for the community you know if they come back to me and say well we realized within your um your neighborhood there was a high level of people overdosing over opioids or whatever it is or there were a number of people drug addicted in the street and this that and we trying to clean up your street whatever it is that that makes it far more appealing to me to say okay i see why you open up this site than to just say poof here's the site next door to you and that's why i mean like the statistical data not for the scholars that scholarly people got to go dig through and say okay there was a, a research study done by harvard in 1997 that said xyz no plain language general stuff you know that says that okay this is what happened by us putting it in your community we've reduced the amount of overdoses in this parent this four block radius or whatever it is or by us putting it in your community crime has decreased by such and such percent drug related crime and that that common sense plain language data i think will go a long way to help people embrace this model well even the conceptualization of addiction is not even well well um accepted by any community especially communities of color or urban communities it's always going to be something that's shoved under the rug that's going to be something that's like not even spoken about. So it's like that this ideology of it all. And if we're able to actually have that conversation and say, hey, this is like, I don't even think harm reduction and like over a decade working in the city of Newburgh, harm reduction is still not something that folks I talk to on a day to day basis on the streets can even relate to. They have no conceptualization. Yeah. Well, cool on this cafe says also you don't encourage to quit just reducing overdose. You wanna you want what you wanna do is they're that looking at things quick. Like you you want people to eventually quit, but you'll take the fact that they're not dying as a as as an end result. Or you'll take the fact that if you know that in this particular area HIV is rampant as a result of intravenous drug use, we've now reduced how many people have contracted HIV. Right. Via intravenous drug use, like that's the model of harm reduction. Of course, you want people to quit, but you've also come to terms that people are going to quit when they're ready to quit. So when you want to talk about harm reduction, you want to talk about somebody who, like, let's let's take it even down a notch, like somebody who's like trying to trying to cut down on sugar. Mm-hmm. They're not gonna they're not gonna go cold turkey, right? 
they might stop eating cookies, they might stop doing this or whatever, but we're, like, at the end of the day, you want that person to reduce their harm. Yeah. You want them to use clean needles, you want them to be honest about what they're using, you want them to be able to have somebody to discuss this stuff with. But when we're talking about harm reduction, it's more about the honesty, clarity, and the ability to be open about what your true addiction is. And no judgment, no bias, no nothing, but let's just work with it. And that's where it really comes from. That's where that model really manifests from is that this is who you are, that we accept that. How do we get you to a place where you can be better? You, you know what I mean? Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully that, leads, that leads to them quitting. You know what I'd be interested it in? Seeing that's I'd the goal of it. I'd be interested in seeing seeing the numbers. Not not because I don't think that it's in its infancy. I'd be interested in seeing the numbers of how many people have actually utilized the um the space. That to me will speak to the level of effectiveness mm-hmm. also. Because you gotta remember there's gonna be a trust issue with this. If yeah, you're a person that's a, a user, you're not just gonna be like, oh, you telling me, wait a minute, I can go here, get clean needles, <laughs> get high as much as I want. You're not going to say nothing, the cops not going to kick in the door or whatever. So I want to see the numbers, you know, like just general numbers. How many people do you have coming here a day? How many people have... In the beginning, it's not going to be huge numbers. We can't. We don't have huge numbers. A lot of people don't even know it's right there at 280 Broadway. The reason why is because nobody know that they can... Then you could tell them you can use illegal drugs here and we won't arrest you. But I would need that. To be honest, if I was I an addict, I would be like, I need that in writing. Call my lawyer. <laughs> okay. Call my public defender. Because you're going to have to literally build up trust within the addict. So that means you have to go in their world to bring them into the facility. So that's how I, that goes back to what I was saying, though, that there's an element to use that also goes beyond just the fact of, okay, good, I got the drugs and, you know, I, I I was able to use the drugs. Like, there may be people that may be like, well, I actually like the fact that, you know, I have to go out and do these different things to actually enjoy or indulge in my drugs. So now you're telling me all of it, all of that element of that is now removed from the equation. You know, I, I, um, I talk about this sometimes, and it's certainly it's not a good analogy for drug use, but you think about when you go to an amusement park, if you're a person that rides the roller coasters and stuff like that, part of building your excitement around getting on the roller coaster as much as you hate it and build anticipation is actually waiting on that long ass line to get on that roller coaster. Once they remove that line and you just getting on the roller coaster, that takes some of the element of the enjoyment out of actually getting on the roller coaster. You know, it's the anticipation of it. So now, kind of applying that concept to drug use, you've taken some of the, the element of, okay, I got to get my drugs. I got to go over here. I got to do this. You got the park pass now. Out of it, yeah. Like, it's like, all right, wait a minute. So you I get to skip a line. <laughs> yeah, so I, it's, to me, it's kind of like, you know, like actually retraining and getting people, getting that trust and getting people to buy into it. Because some people are probably like, wait a minute, so harm, harm reduction? So you telling me all the stuff that yesterday I could get incarcerated for, that I could just walk right in here and indulge in it and nobody's gonna say anything. Oh, the trap. Exactly. That's one way. And, and there's the other way of people actually coming to terms with the fact that what they've been doing have been placing them at risk of harm. 
Mm-hmm. You know, the dichotomy of it all, and just like having them really realize that no, this is not a generational thing. This is not something that has been like bestowed upon you by God, but it's also something that you can change. I think the real, the real, the real piece of this is talking to somebody in real recovery, mm-hmm. and and being able to really talk to them about it. Being mm. in, I can't, I can't say enough how how lucky I am to be in the position I am, talking to folks every day, and them coming to me to be candid, and talking to me about like their own recovery process, and being able to be open with it without having DSS on their back. And Shannon, you know, that's something new to me, right? (laughs) Like, these are folks coming in, wanting real treatment, and like, really just wanting that help. And it's a real struggle. It's a real struggle. And I come come from a father who's an NYPD sergeant who was a functional alcoholic all day, every day. You know, And, and being able to see through that and work through that, and now, being able to talk to him as a person and realizing what that what that addiction did for him, how it helped him. Like his addiction actually helped him not abuse us. Wow. You know, his addiction was able to he came home and he took his he, he took his, his Bacardi and it helped him not look at us as those those dead dead girls on the street. Mm. Was it bringing the work home? Yep. So we have to be able to be empathetic, and 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 I and I empathize. I, I, I so empathize like with that because it's like we cannot be sympathetic. We have to be empathetic. We have to be able to get to the point where we're able to see like I don't feel sorry for you, but I feel you. I understand. Yeah. I understand. yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, or I'm gonna try to understand. Or at the least bit, I know I don't understand, but I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna try to help understand because there's certain things that I just will never be able to conceptualize with this bit that these guys go through, mm-hmm. you know. But I'm gonna try to empathize, but I'll never be sorry for nobody because I want them to progress and I want them to move forward. Yeah, mm-hmm. so true. Well, we appreciate everybody, Sheena. Thank you for joining the panel. Janelle. No yeah. Thanks for letting me join it. Can I um, share something? Because I forgot to share this. Um, on December 11th and 12th, I am hosting a Save a Life pop-up shop where everyone will leave with a Narcan kit. So I am doing a Narcan training at the Newburgh Town Center. So anyone listening to this, please, please, and you're in the Orange County area, make sure that you attend. Um, General, share, share, share your link. Okay, I will. Link, share the link. Let's get it out there. Yes, so that is what I'm hosting. Also, I'm going to have a smart ghost strategist there. Who is <laughs> we were talking about this. It's always the universe. I'll be like, yeah. Get them non-negotiables out there. Get them smart goals out there. So I'm going to have an amazing smart goal strategist who's also going to do a session. Um, I'm going to have some amazing vendors. Um, Shashina, we'll hook up because I don't know how to work this platform to put my website. You can send, you, uh, you can send it to me and I'll put it in the description for the video. Oh, okay. 
Yeah, so, no, let's let's link up, Janelle. I'm yeah, here. Yeah, I'm, Uber, I'm running the street. I would street. love to have you there. Um, let's get the word out. And that's my form of helping people, you know, to get away from just say no. I'm Listen, I'm out and here. I'm in the Let's yep. go. Yep. <laughs> in the training, you're actually going to see a time when my father actually overdosed. You're going to see where the paramedics work on him. So it's a real live training. I didn't download my pictures off of Google. That is my dad. So I'm trying to make it as real. When I'm bringing awareness, I want to make it as real as can be. I mean, of course, he died of an overdose, so he's not here. But um, the pictures and the, the whole file will help you understand what addiction is. We appreciate and the service to the community, Janelle. Thank you. You're welcome. I appreciate you guys. I appreciate this platform. Let me tell you guys, this is the way to go. Keep, just keep going. Thank you. Rob, any closing words? Nah, I don't have any closing words, bro. I just want people to speak. Come on, Rob. Keep it. All right, Sheena. Jesus. Pleasure to meet you, too. Pleasure to meet you, too. I'm kind of, I'm, 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 I'm just a little overwhelmed about things that I'm hearing. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a positive guy, man. I want people to keep the best of thoughts. You yourself, Janelle, after just losing your father, always keep the best of thoughts of your father, all the, all the best ideas and memories you have of him. Oh, I think that's the best part of mental health is keeping good thoughts, yeah. great feelings about yourself, have great self-talk about who you are, know who you are. Don't, don't, don't be afraid to express your feelings. Oh. You know, speak to somebody, speak to your friends, speak to anybody that's willing to listen, man. Somebody you know I have a therapist. I don't play that. <laughs> I have a therapist and a spiritual coach. So I encourage everyone to get one. Or get somebody, a pastor. Louis Farrakhan, I still listen to him these days. So... I had a client come up to me the other day and they were like, what do you think about this whole like online therapeutic stuff? And I think they wanted me to be like, you know, the better health, the, all that stuff, the cerebral, all that stuff. I think they wanted me to be like, yo, F that stuff, like come, come to me. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? Whatever gets people talking. If you can get online and you can get talking and you can start talking about stuff and you can start expressing yourself, I don't care where it's at. Let's go for it. Let's go for it. Let's let's ride with it. Let's 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 go. So yeah, I feel if you like can get therapy in your pajamas, how dope is that? I mean, how <laughs> freaking dope is that? <laughs> I gotta put on a pair of slacks every day. So. Yes, I wear my Easter outfits, but um, <laughs> I call them Easter outfits because every day I gotta dress up. But um, yeah, wherever you guys can get it, I think. Oh, the awareness is what it's about, and one thing well, I will say about COVID is the fact that like people have become increasingly aware about what their mental health looks like, and that is an amazing thing. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, a lot of people. Any good out of it? That's that's what I'll yeah. take. 
Yeah. You know, you notice these last, I think the last three shows we've done, I really appreciate, you know, we had, I think a couple of weeks ago, we had a discussion around homelessness. Um, you know, on Wednesday, we were on Janelle's platform. Today, having this discussion about self-care, mental health, and then, you know, ending off with just like the harm reduction stuff. These, these to me, are, these are very meaningful conversations. Not, not, not that we don't like having other conversations about current events, but these are really meaningful conversations that I think have lasting impressions. And I also think, again, for some reason, around this time of the year when the holidays come around, it's even more important to engage in these discussions, you know, because the holidays, again, I go back to what I said earlier, the holidays are triggering for a lot of people, you know, so I hope, hope the people that tuned in tonight got something from it. They actually enjoyed the discussion, you know, and thank you, Sheena. Thank you. Yeah. Um, you Thank, Thank you for tuning in and watch us. We'll see everybody next week. Have a good evening, everybody. Right. Have a good evening on purpose, guys. <laughs>